Well, Randy set the bar pretty high. I hope I can reach that bar, Randy. I can't, but the Lord can. As I was thinking about this message, it took my mind back a number of years ago now when my son was in school and things weren't going too well. And I hate to think what it's like these days because this was probably 25 plus years ago. He was going to be going into grade three. And when he started grade two, we had a meeting with the teachers and he had a special teacher assigned to him to help him with math and other things that he was struggling with. And they gave us a paper and this is what they planned to do to teach him to bring him up to the level he needed to be. The next May, we went for another meeting and uh, I asked them, well, have you reached your goal? Well, they presented me the same paper that gave, they gave me back in September. And I said, so what was your plan? Well, they didn't have a plan. So, of course, he had no goal to reach. As a result, long story short, we took him home. He was supposed to go into grade three. He couldn't read, and he could hardly knew anything about arithmetic. So we divided duties between my wife and I, and I taught him math for one. So I said to him on the first day, I said, would you count for me? Now, he's supposed to go into grade three, and he got to 21. That was as far as he could count. I had no idea. I mean, I was busy at work. So if I said to him, what's the number before 15? He didn't have a clue. So that's where I had to start from. But as a result, by the end of the year, he could add three columns. He could subtract three columns. He learned his times tables up to five, as well as his division up to five. So he wasn't stupid. So I wrote a a small test for him to see how he was doing. And I marked the test, and he got a failing grade. Well, that really ticked him off. He went away in a huff. He's ready to quit. I said, hey, just a minute. Come on back here. He said, the problem's not yours. The problem's mine. If I'm your teacher, then I've done something that I haven't communicated well enough. We're going to have to see if there's another way so that I can explain it to you so you understand. And I am beginning to wonder if that is not the same with the gospel message. You see, every one of us come to Christ differently. We've got different stories. If I was to ask people here that have been saved a number of years, give me your salvation experience, every story would be different. And what we have to realize is that we have an enemy of our souls that does not want people to come to salvation. The gospel message is so broad that we can never cover it in one message. What I'm about to speak about, I think, might be one of the barriers, perhaps, 
that is preventing people from coming to Christ. I say this, I think, because of what transpired this past week at Bill's funeral. Afterwards, I had the opportunity to speak to a few people. And there was one person in particular that I spoke to. And he could see something in Bill that he didn't have himself. There was something real, and he knew that Bill was an evangelist. And it didn't take much to read between the lines that he felt totally inadequate and probably was not even certain of his salvation. I don't know his background. I'm assuming he went to a church. So that is basically what is behind the message that I have for tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark 2. It's just a couple of verses. Verse 16 and 17 of Mark 2. When the scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Well, I have to think, you know, Israel in their history, they had received the law of Moses and they thought that by keeping the law of Moses they could achieve their own righteousness. But Paul writes in Romans 10, the Jews being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I grew up in a religious background. When I was young, I would say we had very good teaching and preaching. But as I grew up, things became more legal all the time. And if I was to tell you some of the things that were added to the rules, I mean, you would think it was absolutely ridiculous. Let me just give you one or two. I had a poodle at the time, and that poodle used to sleep with me. And now, the edict comes out, no dogs. Got to get rid of all the dogs. Imagine. The scripture that was used was from Revelation. Without are the dogs. (laughs) You see how we can twist scripture to say something that it doesn't say? That's only one of many. I was almost excommunicated because I I bought a brand new um, Camaro in 1968. There were no rules to say that you couldn't have a certain kind of car, but I don't know, maybe it was just me. I had something on my forehead. I don't know what it was, but they were ready to excommunicate me for having this car. 
And you see, I think that there are many who have grown up in churches that have come under a system of law of do's and don'ts. Jesus here is talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the ones that would copy the scriptures and that had to cross every T and dot every I. And in fact, it's very interesting. A number of years ago, we were in Florida and we went into the Holy Land experience. And they had a building in there where they had old scrolls and they had some of the first Bibles from the Gutenberg presses. It was fantastic. It was a personal collection. But if the scribes were writing the scroll and if they happened to make a mistake and they're three quarters of the way through, they had to scrap it and start over again. So the scribes were very meticulous. Everything had to be done just according to so-so. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they took the Ten Commandments and to prevent anybody from, from uh, failing in any of the commandments, they just added about another 600 plus rules so that you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, what's the word I'm trying to look for? It must be old age setting in. So that they wouldn't uh, disobey the law. And we might think that's odd, that's funny, and yet how many of us have grown up under that same thinking? We've thought that by keeping the rules that somehow we're going to be presentable to God, God's going to accept me as long as I keep all of the rules. And what we find over time, what I found over time was the rules started to increase and increase and increase. And it brought everyone into bondage. And we thought that we'd be made righteous and holy before God if we kept the rules. Israel thought that. But they would not submit to the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ was the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So Jesus says here, he says, I have not come to call the righteous. And here's the thing. In speaking with people, I think without them saying so, they think that they've lost out on the call of God. Because somebody else seems to have a radically changed life, but they don't see it in their own life. Something is drastically wrong. And when you maybe delve into it, you find out they're trying to keep the rules. They go to church, they tithe, they do everything else there because they think that that way is going to lead them to salvation. When in fact... It doesn't. It drives people further away from God. So Jesus says, I did not come to call. Have you heard his call? I'm asking, have you heard Jesus calling to you and the Holy Spirit convicting you that you need to make a choice to give your heart to Christ? If you haven't heard a call, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, 
Hmm. As long as we have our own righteousness, that is not what God requires. They were self-righteous. And if you're self-righteous and you hear the call, there is no call. Because you've tuned God out. You're thinking that you have to keep the rules and by that way, you'll be able to please God. And that God eventually will say, okay, you have a place in heaven. And so many people get to the point, and especially at the times of funerals, where they may have a loved one that has passed away, they've never led a Christian life. They have no, there's been no sense of anything, and people say, well, he's gone to heaven. This is sad. If we have our own self-righteousness and the call goes out to give your heart to Christ, you don't hear it. The only ones that hear that call are those that realize that they're sinners. But in order to realize that we're sinners, and all of us know that, none of us need to be told that we're sinners. We all know that from the time we're young. We do things that are not right. We know that. I don't have to tell anybody that you're a sinner. In fact, Jesus talks about those that we would call sinners as the lost. They're lost and they're without hope. And he came to give hope and to give a way by which that they can come and be right with God. But to realize and to acknowledge the fact that we're sinners, we have to go down. We have to give up any of the righteousness that we might hold on to and realize that we are in sinners in need of forgiveness. You see, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's not as wrath. It's God's goodness. I would be wrong in standing here and talking down to people that have never given their heart to Jesus. I think that there are blockages and barriers to people coming to Christ. And I think what it may take is sometimes is just like that one piece, one piece of the puzzle. And when you get that one piece, the whole picture comes together. So if you think that by keeping the rules that that's going to bring you to salvation, dispense with that totally. Because Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom. And they tried to keep all the rules, and they tried to keep everybody else in line. But Jesus says, unless it exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom. Then Paul writes in Romans, he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. So what's Jesus saying here? I did not come to call the righteous. Are there any righteous? None. Not you, 
not me. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. So if you're thinking that you're going to hear the call because you're doing and keeping all the rules, you won't hear it because he's not calling the righteous. He's calling sinners. To come to the point of realizing that I'm a sinner, I have to, something has to transpire where I can see myself as a sinner. So often, many, many times, it takes a crisis. Some kind of crisis comes about in our lives in which we see ourselves as we really are and that we have need of salvation. But unless we respond at that point in time, we let it go. And pretty soon we're back into our old ways and we never made that decision for Christ. I would like to urge anybody that's here tonight that has never made that step and responded to God's call and seen yourself as a sinner in need of salvation that tonight you will realize that there's no other way. You have to go down. When Jesus came to this earth, and I love this section in in Philippians, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, some have thought that this was probably one of the earliest hymns in Philippians 3, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, who left his throne of glory, came down for you and I, He humbled himself. Are we not prepared to humble ourselves before Almighty God and say, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved? Jesus came down. He humbled himself so that we might have the opportunity to come to God and be saved. As long as we're going to live by the rules and we're going to try and be righteous on our own accord, we will never, ever come to Christ. This, I think, is a blockage in many, many cases. Because as long as I go to church, as long as I tithe, as long as I don't do and I don't do and I don't do and I, to infinity, that somehow I'm going to be able to have my sins forgiven and Jesus is going to save me and I'm going to spend heaven with him. Further, nothing further from the truth. If Jesus went down to save us, we have to go down. We have to see ourselves as sinners and turn to him for salvation. There's that uh, parable that Jesus talks about. The tax collector and the Pharisee, and the two of them are out in the street preaching. Or preaching, they're, they're praying. 
out on the street. And the Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That's what I'm talking about. The tax collector standing afar off, he would not even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Is that so hard? When Jesus came and gave his very life so that you might be saved? Is that too hard to say, be merciful to me, a sinner? At that moment, your life will be changed. There's no question about it. So he goes on to say, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That means he was declared or treated as being righteous. He went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself has their own self-righteousness will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We must have this bent of mind as long as we're on this earth. Believers as well. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. None of us are above another. Just because I'm standing on a platform doesn't make me better than anybody else. It's just whatever gift that God gives us. Some are put in a position like this with more responsibility. It is awesome responsibility. I can't assume that everybody here is saved. That would be wrong. All I can do is present what possibly might be hindering you from making that decision? If you think it's by what you do, and so many think that, that someday God's going to accept you, it's furthest thing from the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is sin. When we make that decision, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That means for a believer then, there's no unrighteousness. There's no sin. What is interesting is if you begin to read Paul's epistles, he doesn't open his epistles with saying, that he's writing to the sinners in Corinth. He's writing to the sinners in Ephesus, the sinners in Galatia. He's writing to the saints. Once you've come to salvation, you're no longer a sinner. Your past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. How can you say then that you're still a sinner when they've been forgiven? No, you're a saint. And that's what Paul says. He writes to the saints, the believers in all of these churches. So Paul, when he preached, he testified to both Jews and Greeks 
His preaching was repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What's it mean? Repentance towards God. Repentance is the word to change the mind. That means that if we have not been saved, if we've not had our sins forgiven, we need to change our minds about God. People have this in their minds that God is against this. God is not against us. He's for us. And we need to change our minds to see that God is a loving God who offers salvation. He went to the extent of giving his only begotten son so that we might be saved. And we think that we have an option and we know better than God. And I'm not going to make that decision today. I mean, let's use, just use our brains. God gave us a brain. Doesn't it make sense? If that's what he did, all I need to do is to respond. Change my mind about God, then change my mind about me. I'm no longer righteous. I don't see myself as righteous. I'm a sinner. And when I change my mind about myself and I change my mind about God, and I respond to him and ask him for forgiveness, he comes in and changes my life. Now, here's something. It's truly interesting. There's nothing wrong with trying to be righteous. Is there anything wrong with that? No. In fact, when we look around in our world today, we see so much unrighteousness. Where's justice? It just seems to have fled off the face of the earth. You can commit murder, be taken in, and tomorrow you're let go again. Where's justice? But here's the thing. As soon as we give our life, our hearts to Christ, and our sins are forgiven, what we have been searching for all our life and trying our very best to produce in us this righteousness, God gives it as a free gift. Imagine. There is nothing we have to do to receive God's righteousness. Christ comes to live within us. Now we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal to think. All the things that we strive to do to become righteous just by believing that Jesus died for my sins, God says, I'm going to impart to you righteousness, Christ's righteousness, not my righteousness. So it begins with Abraham. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him or it was imputed. Righteousness was imputed to him. It was put to his bank account. Righteousness then is put to the sinner's bank account now that they have come to salvation. All we may have worked for all our lifetime that we were pursuing and that's what we were wanting to do just through believing God gives us what we always wanted. But it's not my righteousness, it's Christ's. If it is his, can it be taken away? Possible. Possible. We may not always act as if it's the case, but it's impossible. So let me ask those of you that are believers here tonight. 
Are you sin conscious? Or are you righteousness conscious? If you're sin conscious, you're still living under the old covenant. Because Hebrews tells us that the sacrifices that were made during Israel's time, that they had to continue year after year after year after year. It never made the conscience clear. Which means then that the one sacrifice of Christ gives us a clear conscience. How often do you think of yourself as being the righteousness of God in Christ? We run into difficulties in this life. We get down on ourselves, and for some reason or other, we still, in the back of our minds, tend to think that we're still sinners because we failed. No, that's where the grace of God comes in. I was saying to Randy before, (laughs) if we never failed... We'd never know what grace was. I failed so many times. At least I've got an inkling of what the grace of God is. No matter how bad I've been, the grace of God has been there to pick me up. I've been low at times. I've been discouraged at times. I've given up on God at times. But his grace is sufficient. It's far more than my failures. That righteousness that I received when I was first converted, I still have because Christ lives in here and he's not going to leave us. He took our sins. Imagine. He took my sins and in place he gave me his righteousness. How profound. What a savior. Is there anybody else that could do that for you? There's no one else in the universe that could possibly do that for you. Why would you not come to Christ today? Why would you not give your heart to him today? Your life will be different because you will become righteous. You will have Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Father living in you. Oh, I forgot what time I'm supposed to be done. I have one thing I'd like to leave with you. My wife had a book that her grandmother had given her, so this book was probably written in the 1800s. It's before they would put dates in books. It's just a little book, very thin, and it's the last words of famous people. So you'll get Henry VIII, you'll get different people, and you'll get some unknown people in it. And this was one of the ones in that book. Let me read it to you. This was a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, and he was on his deathbed. When the rabbi was on his deathbed, his disciples found him weeping and asked, Rabbi, the light of Israel, the right-hand pillar, wherefore dost thou weep? This is what he said. If they were carrying me before a king of flesh and blood, who is here today and tomorrow, is in the grave, who, if angry, his anger would not last forever. If he put me in prison, his prison would not be everlasting. If he condemned me to death, that death would not be eternal. 
whom I could soothe with words or bribe with riches. Yet, even in such circumstances, I should weep. But now I am going before the King of kings, the holy blessed God who liveth and endureth, who if angry with me, his anger will last forever. If he put me in prison, that bondage will be everlasting. If he condemn me to death, that death will be eternal, whom I cannot soothe nor bribe. When further, there are two ways before me, the one to hell, the other to paradise, and I know not which they are carrying me. Shall I not weep? This is how important this decision is. This decision is the most important one you'll ever make in your lifetime. Imagine getting to the end of a life and saying, I don't know where I'm going. It doesn't have to be that way. Tonight can be the night for you that you give your heart to Jesus. 